from Janesville. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. We don't tuck our shirts in in England. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Rebecca, we, if you need translation, we'll get Dave Cousins okay. to help. Okay. Tell us where you're from. I'm from England, a little uh, town called Leicester, which is sort of the middle part of England. Okay. Tell us what you're doing there in jolly old Birmingham. It's um, like saying jolly old Chicago. Yeah. Um, we're working with a team from Reach Global and planting churches among the Muslim people and revitalizing some of the churches that are not doing so well. How big's the Muslim Pakistani population there? In Birmingham, about... Nobody's asked me this question lately. <laughs> because the new census just came out, so uh, probably about a quarter of a million. Yeah, a yeah. quarter of a million. Two and a half times Walworth County, just in the Pakistanis and the more Muslims? Probably Most are Pakistani, but we have over 55,000 Somalis alone just in the last 10 years in Birmingham. Okay, and how, what do you do to start to get to that relationship so you can minister to them? How do you break the hurdles and start the process? Two things we've had to learn. Um, love your neighbor as yourself, which sounds very cliche, but it does take a lot of just loving the neighbor, spending time with them, inviting them into the home, being willing to go into their home. Um, Rebecca teaching English to the women, myself spending a lot of time with the men in conversation, and um, love your enemies as yourself. Too often we in the States or in England really don't like Muslims. We don't, I've, we've had conversations with some people say, no, they should go to hell. And that's not right. None of us deserve the love of Christ, whether we be Muslim or um, white with a Christian background, but not becoming a Christian. We all need Jesus for that. Thank you. Would you join me in praising God for the cooks and their willingness to live Jesus among the Pakistanis? Let's do it first in prayer, then we'll do it in applause. God, thank you for these dear folks. Thank you for your call in their life. Thank you for giving them the courage that's needed to live in such a multi-ethnic part of, a, of the world. God, thank you for the way that you're continuing to grow them and lead them we now want to express to you our thanks through applause, which is just one of the ways that we do that here in America. So please receive our praise and our thanks for this dear couple, and please keep blessing them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had not yet dismissed the little ones. I wanted to give them a chance to hear from some of our dear friends who live in other parts of the world. So I'll dismiss you now, little ones, up through grade four. There's some special ones ready to receive you, some special adults ready to teach you about Jesus. Next week, I'll continue with you in the series that we've been uh, looking at, uh, our dear church here at Calvary and what God's called us to. But today, we've asked David, who, as you know, with his wife, has lived most of his life, not here in America, but in Central Asia, to help us understand a little bit about what is God doing in those places and what do we need to understand about that if we're going to really be obedient to God's call in our lives. David? Um, thank you for the privilege of sharing. Uh... We're going to look at statistics today. We're going to look at areas that we don't usually look at. This church has a DNA in missions. We have a heart for missions. God has worked in us, and when God works, we care about people. But we're going to just build some of that foundational blockings today. Let's pray. 
Father, help us to better understand your passion for the world and our part in it. In Jesus' name we pray for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. Our theme for this week has been the ends of the earth. And the passage I want to look at this morning and sort of make sense out of and unfold and and enlarge for us is Acts chapter 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus is saying that to his apostles and disciples just before he ascends to Jerusalem. It's almost one of the last things he says to them. It may have been the last thing that he said to them. They don't understand what's ahead for them, but here's what he's saying. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Translated very loosely, you will be my witnesses at this church and in my community and Walworth County and Milwaukee and even Chicago. That's Samaria. That's where the other people live. And the ends of the earth. He's saying... It's going to happen. Let's make a couple observations about this. Number one, when the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples, the Holy Spirit moves people out. This is not a command that's given. This is not, oh my goodness, we better go do it like Avis and try harder. This is something that God himself is going to agree in your heart and your soul, and all of a sudden they're going to go. I've had people come to know the Lord say, I want to be a missionary. By the way, what is that? There's something, once you understand that Jesus died for you, your sins are forgiven, you have been freely given, you want to share it. And there's a dynamic that happens in the work of the Spirit that impels people away from what they know to tell somebody that doesn't know. Well, did this historically happen? I mean, are we looking at something theoretical or was it real? Well, we're going to look at a few of the disciples Thomas, the Didymus, the the one who's known as the Doubter, um, actually ended up going to Babylon, which is present-day Iraq, Persia, which is present-day Iran, and South India. And in South India, there's a church denomination called Martoma, which is named after Thomas. He took the currents of the Indian Ocean, not a 747, and went to South India. There a church is today. Peter died in Rome before he got there. He preached all over in the provinces in the areas of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. John is at the west end of Turkey in the city of Ephesus, modern-day Izmir. He was the oldest of the disciples, and he, he was um, in Patmos when he wrote Revelation, came back to, to Ephesus and died in Ephesus. James is one of the few disciples that died and very early on in Jerusalem. Andrew went to the Scythians, or the country of Georgia. Country, not the state. The country of Georgia. um, And the Thracians who were in Bulgaria. And interestingly enough, some of you know there's a cross on the Scottish flag. And that's called the St. Andrew's Cross. St. Andrew said, I don't want to die like Jesus did. I'm not worthy. And he was crucified on an X rather than a T for a cross. That's called St. Andrew's Cross, and it's part of the Scottish flag. And no, he did not go to Scotland, and no, I don't know how that ended up there. But when you see that on the Scottish flag, uh, you'll understand why. And he's the patron saint of Armenia, I think it is, or George, I'm sorry. Philip went to Heropolis and some of the places that Paul was at. Bartholomew went to modern-day Armenia and to the Caspian Sea in an area where um, it's almost impossible for non-nationals to live. Simon the Zealot, the one we know the least about, 
In some ways, this historically went to North Africa, on to Spain, and up to Britain. In other words, the disciples, once they were given the Spirit, were impelled out. They did. They went. And it wasn't with a mission agency. It wasn't because the church sent them. It's because the Holy Spirit worked in their lives. And they're sent to the ends of the earth. What's the ends of the earth? Well, it's a geographical reference. You know, for Israel, Israel's about seven, maybe eight time zones for us away. So we're pretty much at the ends of the earth for them. But if we sit here in Walworth, the opposite side of the world, 12 hours away is the Philippines. But Jesus didn't die for geographical sites or nations. He died for people, didn't he? Amen. And that implies people groups. He's interested in people groups. And I want to look at this concept of people groups this morning so we understand uh, that we're not just praying for nations, but in our flags represents people and people groups. And people groups are defined as those groups where there's, there's no barriers that would hinder the gospel from crossing. In America, we by and large have a Euro-American history. We speak English. Now, you take somebody from Maine and somebody from Texas, they may need a translator once in a while, or a good North Carolina accent where Heffields lived to Washington State. I've been in North Carolina where I said, did I leave the country? But it was English. I just had to attune my ear to it. And we identify ourselves as Americans. That's a people group. What's, what's involved with this people group idea? It, it's identified with languages. If we speak the same language, there's, there's something in common. We may be from anywhere in Latin America, and our nationalism is for a country, but we all speak Spanish except for Brazil. There's a, a people group called the Baluch people. They don't have a country. They're in Iran and Pakistan and Afghanistan, but they have a great deal of ethnic identity, and they are Baluch before they're Iranian or Pakistani or um, Afghani. Um, the Uyghur people, um, they speak Chinese. They're Chinese Muslims, basically. In Kazakhstan, they read one script, a Russian script, and in China, they read another script, but they understand mutually each other in their language as they speak. These are people groups, and that's a group with no cultural, uh, cultural identity and acceptance. They have the same heroes. They tell the same stories. Uh, when they sing their national anthem or their people group song, they all understand it, and they sing together. And uh, there's no barriers to stop the gospel from crossing um, from one people within that to within, peoples within that. Now let's look at what is an unreached people groups, because that's really the ends of the earth. And this morning we're focusing on the ends of the earth and the unreached people group. That is a culture, a language, or social class that lacks a community of Christians to evangelize the rest of the group without outside help. That's normally, and they're using a, a loose statistic here. I mean, uh, it's not perfect, but um, 2% of the population. Now, just to get some bearings in uh, Wellworth County, we have no more than 100,000 people. We have 40 churches, good churches, that you could hear the gospel today, okay? We are way over the 2% level. But we're going to look at some places today that are truly unreached. What does it mean to be unreached? They don't have a Bible or a verse in their Bible, in their language. They may have just a few verses. There's no sustainable, identifiable local church. They don't have a building. People would hear about the gospel on the radio or from somebody overseas say, where's the church? They couldn't find it. And obviously, if there's no church, there's no local church or house group leadership that's identifiable. 
You can't just look up in their phone book and say, where's the local church? Where's the pastor? They're just not there. They're, they're reproducing themselves minimally, but they're, they're really just trying to thrive and, and sustain themselves. They may not have even gathered into a church yet. And often they're persecuted by the government and socially unacceptable. We come to church, and with few exceptions, um, we don't get harassed when we get home. Our family doesn't say, what in the world did you go there for? There's obviously some exceptions. Uh, but as a culture, we're not too badly harassed. We're teased some but, and mocked on TV. But by and large, we're not um, harassed like these people. Now, we're going to look at some statistics. We could look at Operation World, which isn't there. But I pulled these statistics so you can affirm them from the Joshua Project. And we're going to look at the 100 largest, least unreached people groups. I practiced that so I could say it. You know, I can barely read it. But the largest unreached people groups, there's 100 of them. Altogether, there's 1.7 billion people involved here. We're not going through all 100. We just picked out a few. Let's look at this first slide. Algeria, you know of the country in north of France, north of Africa, uh, historically a French colonial uh, colony. Uh, 25 million people. Look at that population. That is not 1%. That is one sixteenth, one sixteen hundredth of a percent of Christians. That's all. There are some Catholics that would be counted a little higher, but evangelicals almost non-existent. In the Azeri, which I referred to early, Aziris, Aziris live in Azerbaijan in Iran. They're one of the largest people groups in all of Iran. Um, and they speak Azeri. In Russian side Azerbaijan, they read Russian script, and Azerbaijan's on the Iranian side read Persian script, but it's the same language, same people group. 23 million, 1,700th of a percent known as Christians. Listen to this next one. This is the one I'm trying to wrap my mind around. In India, the social class in Hinduism, known as the Brahmin, or the upper class, 56 million plus, with no statistical Christians. Now, there are Christians that have come out of this, but statistically, it it doesn't count. It's so small. That's basically saying this. What's, What's 56 million? How does that work? Well, it is the population of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio and Michigan all together. Take Lake Michigan and the states that wrap around Lake Michigan and and, in Minnesota, all of that population statistically, we're not talking about churches, we're just saying there's no Christians in that big of a population. When we talk about unreached in that size, we're talking of almost an inability to hear about the gospel. They may get a chance, and I know somebody will leave here today and hear something on Moody radio station about a Brahmin that's come to know the Lord this week. Praise the Lord. But they are rare and unusual. That's why we're excited about uh, Craig Pape's involvement in India. Japan, we don't think about this, but Japan has 122 million people, one-third of 1% of Christian. I I did the math, and it's under 5,000 evangelicals in the country of Japan. Let's look at this next slide. North Korea. The Korean people of North Korea with that really strange cult wrapped around and religion wrapped around the former leader, 25 million people, no Christians. Now, when the day comes that that is open, the South Koreans, with their love for Jesus Christ, will move into that. We probably won't need to send anybody to North Korea. 
except to help the South Koreans at all. The Pashtu people. This is a large population, 46 million people. They're in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. When you hear about the Taliban in Afghanistan, you hear about the Taliban in Pakistan, the ruling people group in the Taliban are the Pashtu. So politically, they're involved in, in a very radical uh, world. One hundredth of one percent of the Pushtun people are Christian. I carried back with me from that part of the world a first copy of the new Old Testament book of Genesis in Pushtu. I had in my hand an awesome privilege to come back and be proofed in America. Even the translators that do the translation into Pushtu are under stress and are, their lives are in danger. Turkey. Some of you have taken cruises to Mediterranean. You've gone to the seven churches. I recommend highly anytime you get to Turkey. It's a wonderful country. Great tourism. Great customer service. Great place to go. But in Turkey itself, the Turks of Turkey, the population of the country is another 10 million or so, but the Turks, one one hundredth of a percent. Roughly out of 51 million people, they're saying at the most, 2,000 Christians. So there is a Christian group there, but culturally, they're minuscule. And we will have, we have a, a flag someday to put up there for Turkey. Next slide. Of the largest 100 least reached, 46 are in India. 46 of the people group least reached are in India, and six are in China. We're also working with two other groups that are smaller. The Aceh in Indonesia, 4 million. Look at that. Statistically non-existent. At the best, they think there might be 50 Christians. That's, that's why we're not afraid to invest some money. Understanding the results won't be big and exciting, and we won't be able to tell you right away what those results are, but that's why we're there. And in Mongolia, we have a, a couple that we uh, see going there in the next year. Look at the countries and the places of unreached people group that this church is involved with. India, Indonesia, Turkey, Mongolia, Czech Republic, and I'll refer to that in a minute, Native Americans and the Pakistani, and it should say Muslim population around Birmingham, England. Now let's look at the realities. Look in your um, uh, bulletin. In the mission insert, we put a little chart. We didn't put it in color because we save money that way, but it should be bright red so you can see it real quick, okay? We're going to spend a few minutes of the realities of reaching of unreached people because Jesus is the answer, amen? But you better know the question because we know the question. The question is, what are you going to do with eternity? And Jesus loves and cares about these people, but their questions may not be our questions. There is a major world religion that doesn't believe in the depravity of, of man and sin. And so when you say, Jesus takes care of your sin question, they say, I don't have a sin question. We don't believe in original sin. Oh, well, he takes care of it anyways. <laughs> but how do I approach that? Or maybe we say, Jesus will give you eternal life. They say, I believe in reincarnation. I have eternal life. I may end up a slug for a while, but I've got eternal life. Um, what is the, how are we going to present Jesus? And this is a, a scale that, that will just, this is for your own thinking, for your own prayer, okay? Uh, we don't have time to, we could spend hours just processing this. But what if they have no awareness of a supreme being? What if you go to a culture that doesn't have a supreme being? Or in Buddhism or Hinduism, they have a spirit, so they have a three hundred million gods in Hinduism, but they don't have a personal God. 
And so we refer to God. We sing about Jesus in the songs. We capitalize the word why this morning in one of the songs. You, you're a personal God, and we respect you and honor you. But what if you don't believe in a personal God or have an awareness of the gospel? How are we going to present the gospel? You've got to have a positive attitude toward the messenger. I sent this chart to some of our people, Don Gillespie, that works in Canada, with a small, unreached, or unresponsive would be a better word, uh, uh, Native American, uh, Native American, meaning Canadian, larger America, um, group of people. And he said this in response to this. In our world, the word missionary is a curse word. Really, he said. A Christian is an abuser because of the people that have come in and abused them have come from, quote-unquote, identifiable Christian groups. And the word church is a synonym for mass, which in itself is a monument to hypocrisy and abuse. How'd you like to start to work with them? (laughs) Makes your neighbors look comfortable, doesn't it? Because of this, much of our Kim and Don's energy, time goes into relationships, building trust and credibility. The old phrase, people don't care much what you know until they know how much you care, is pretty much a mantra of our ministry. So much of ministry goes back to, do they trust you? Are you there to use us? Are you there to abuse us? Are you trying to make us like you? Or you got something that's good for us in our language, in our culture? Are you trying to make us all little Americans or little Canadians or little Brits or little Koreans? Or do you really care about our soul and about our culture and about our music and about our food? By the way, yesterday the high schoolers got to go to an Indian restaurant in downtown in the north side of Chicago, and they found some awesome sinus medicine. It's called curry. You know, and, and they really seemed to get stretched in a good way yesterday. And uh, just getting some new experiences as part of this and getting some trust and getting comfortable with the world. Oh, by the way, some people come right down to that decision-making, decide to go back and say, wait a minute, I don't want to pay the price. I had a man sit in my office while I worked in a country overseas. Say, I'd become a Christian, but my brothers will kill me. And I did something I never thought I would do. I said, okay, well, once you decide you want to be a Christian, come back. <laughs> he knew the gospel. He gave me the best gospel presentation I'd ever heard. He knew the gospel, but he was afraid to make that decision because his brothers would kill him. Eventually, he came back and he said, listen, I made the decision. And he was able to move forward after that. These are the realities that we face. By the way, we put a place down there for you to put somebody in your family. Put a name on there and say, where are they on the scale? Maybe they got hurt by church. Not Jesus, but church. And you say, hey, they are really, really got to go back and understand the gospel. They've got to understand grace. Maybe there's somebody at work or in your neighborhood. And uh, later we're going to suggest that you take one of these unreached people group and just pray for them. By the way, when our team goes to Czech Republic... That's an atheistic country, and they've got to think in terms of atheism. When they go other places, they have to think in terms of other religious dynamics that change the question, not the answer. Now, if there are unreached people groups, two billion plus unreached, not unresponsive, unreached people groups, what's our next step? Number one, prayer. You say, I can't go. Somebody between services says, I can't go. I can't go. I said, fine, pray. <laughs> Take one and reach people group and say, okay, I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to pray the strongholds that tie them down, the lies that they live with, and their inability to hear the gospel, either physically hear it or to understand it. I'm going to pray that that's broken. Take that country, get a map, 
Put it in your Bible. Put it where you pray and pray for those people. That's the most important thing I could ask you to do. We could walk out of here today if everybody took one people group and be totally satisfied as a starting point for reaching the unpeopled. Everybody can do that. If you want a list, go to Joshua Project. If you need to, let me know in the office. I'll send you one. We'll copy you one. It's easy to get that. Number two, we're, we're looking to send some of our students, eight to ten students, we hope to go to the Urbana Student Missions Conference, which begins uh, December 27th. Every three years, there's a student conference, 25,000 students get together to hear the best speakers go to the best workshops about missions. And we've asked Dave Cousins, to, who's been working with the college kids that have been in the high school program, to come home. We have a list of eight or ten students from our church, and we're open for more that want to go to Urbana and just throw gas on that flame of interest for the world. They may not go um, ever overseas, but they'll never be the same. Um, Craig Pape is gone. My wife is gone. We have a couple that spend a seven of them that attend a first service that have been there um, as representatives of a mission. Uh, this is the kind of thing. You have a grandchild. You have a child that's interested. We need to know. We want to help them as we can. We're going to take the van. Hopefully we'll have somebody drive. I want to go. Carol and I want to go, but we're not driving in a van because their music's going to be way too loud for us. If I'm going all the way to St. Louis, I'm riding in a nice car, not that van. I'm going to have classical music. Unless I have to, I'll suffer. Next week, we're going to start a DVD series called Bridges to Islam as an ABF at the uh, 1030 hour. You say, listen, I, I, I guess I'm ready to listen to the Lord, and I'm ready to learn a little bit about Islam in a safe setting. There's no Muslims in class. It's going to be our DVD, and Mike will be facilitating it. We've got a man active in ministry that's going to come one or two of the weeks and sit down and answer questions. You say, I'm prejudiced. I don't care about them. I really don't care if they go to hell. And you say, but Lord, you're not happy with that. You don't say that. I'm saying that. Okay, Lord, I'll at least go and listen. This is a good, safe way to get started. Maybe consider going on a short-term trip. We know as a church the impact that that's had. We'll hear more tonight at the Honduras event. I like this one. Wherever you are in that, be willing to let go of the known In other words, get out of your comfort zone. It may simply just mean go to Devon Avenue in Chicago and go to an Indian restaurant so you can better understand. We've taken people to the Arab restaurant in Dearborn, and you can see them shuffling the food around till they feel safe. You know, French fry looks like a French fry. No, you know, they didn't do anything to it, you know. (laughs) It's safe. You know, and meatballs are meatballs. There may be a little more lamb, but don't worry about it. They're safe. A number of years ago, my daughter was in college, and she brought, as she said, could we... I bring my roommate for Thanksgiving. We said, sure. And she was Chinese. So she came, and there was this wonderful table that Carol lays out in turkey and a beautiful sage coming out of the stuffing and succotash and Chinese dumplings. I was like, wait a minute, smell, smell. What was that? And there was a whole new smell in the middle of our table on Thanksgiving. That was one of the best Thanksgivings we ever had. You say, I'm not sure about going, but listen, there's guys at work that are going to be here at Thanksgiving. There's neighbors. And maybe if they're from another country, they have never been to an American Thanksgiving. You want to have some fun? You bring somebody new and try to exp- and give them the joy of why we, why we celebrate Thanksgiving. You may have some guest food that you've never had before. Decide beforehand what you might do with liquor. You know, whatever you do with liquor is a family decision. 
we got, when we were students at Moody, we invited somebody in and they has honored us by the work Carol had done teaching him with a bottle of Jack Daniels. And we didn't drink it anyways, and it was a moody policy, and we didn't know what to do, whether you open it or not. I'll tell you, that will really clean out a toilet, though. <laughs> You're going to get into some interesting situations. <laughs> you, I know some of you regret this, but most of us are okay with it, you know. Um, you know, you're going to get into some fun situations. They're going to be strange. They're going to be uncomfortable. That's the, the unknownness of it. But God, God's, you're going to be able to laugh about it. You're going to enjoy it. You know what? It's breaking through those barriers that are giving you the privilege of sharing the gospel, Thanksgiving or whatever that happens. Read and listen to those engaged in unreached people group. That's why we had the cooks come up. That's why we encourage you to go to the gym. And we're going to do something we haven't done for a while at church, apparently. Jerry Smith last week said, I walked down that aisle right there 20, 25 years ago and gave my life to be willing to go to service. Tess told me before she went to World Race, started to talk about it. She said, about 10 years ago, we had a commitment service at a missions conference, and I went forward, and I want to work on that. It's time for me to do it. 10 years, a third of her life. And she says, now I'm ready to go. <laughs> and we all know she's going and in the process of what God has for her. This morning, we're going to ask you a couple things. Number one, if you've lived overseas or been on a short-term mission in this church or from Calvary, would you just stand? Or even if you haven't been from the church, would you just stand? Now, believe it or not, these people look pretty ordinary, don't they? <laughs> Safe. You know, they haven't crossed over. They're not crazy. They've just been willing to go to the unknown. And that's part of what God wants us to do. And we have the privilege of going short-term, test our skills out, see what we're comfortable with, and we may never do anything else. But we believe that between this church, because the Holy Spirit said that when I come, you will be my witnesses, that some of you are called to the unreached people group. Some of you are saying, I'm willing to go further and go longer. It's not because they're more valuable. <laughs> it's not because God loves those people any more than the single person here or the working mom here and the working mom in Turkey loves them both equally, but there just happens to be a lot more of them that don't hear the gospel. If you say, listen, I think I'm willing to consider, I am willing to move ahead as the Lord directs to long-term service, to commitment to being overseas, to considering using my ministry skills no matter what stage of life, would you stand with this group? I'd like to pray and then turn this over to Pastor Doug and then music. Lord, you know our hearts. You know that we're ready to do what you want. Some of us can't. Some of us won't. That's fine. But there's people here that you want to send to the unreached people group. And you want to bless us in our ministry within the walls of this church and our outreaches to the county. All of it. Because it said equally that we will be witnesses as your spirit works in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.